What's up, y'all? Welcome in. It is Tuesday, March 31st, and this is a brand new edition of the Hold That Podcast podcast. I should say the Athletics Hold That Podcast. Uh, Remember, you can find it everywhere, and you can sign up uh, using the discount code www.theathletic.com slash hold that podcast. Give you a great deal. Basically getting the Athletic for like a cup of coffee a month or something, and it is so incredibly worth it. So you can get great stories like Brody's breakdown of what Max Johnson's up to during the quarantine. Uh, really, just it's 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 absolutely fantastic. Uh, I'm T Bob Abear, and I'm joined by my co-host, as always, the Athletics Brody Miller. What's up, T Bob? What are you up to these days? Way to pick up on that cue, real uh, real sharp there. You know, it was it, was, a, it wasn't your say, well, normally you make it very clear, like hey, what's up, Brody, and you just kind of like this one you faded out, but you're coming out of a nap. I so I, I was like, no, no, I said like the athletics, Brody Miller. I mean, come on, I, I can I can lead the horse to water, but like you got to decide to drink. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, taking notes from the radio guy. Clip. My bad, man. My bad. Uh, yeah, jeez. Look, yeah, if we're writing, then talk to me, okay? But this is a podcast, so we're talking. Uh, and we actually got some stuff to talk about today, man. Yeah, quite uh, a bit. We had Joe Burrow. We had Joe Burrow on the show. Th- or, excuse me, we had Coach O yes. on the show this morning. I listened to a lot of Joe Burrow on Coach K's podcast. Uh, but we had Coach O on the radio show this morning. He gave us some interesting insight into uh, some cool Burrow stories, Burrow recruitment, what they're doing right now with the team, what they're allowed to do. Uh, how they're handling this uh, quarantine with the coaching staff, how they're recruiting. Um, like I alluded to earlier, Brody, you have an interesting write-up on Max Johnson and thus, by extension, Super Bowl champion quarterback Brad Johnson, who I was a massive Mike Allstott fan, so obviously I'm a huge Bucks fan. And, uh, and, and, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very interested to hear what Max Johnson's up to and we're going to get into uh, the top five college quarterbacks of all time because uh, list season and bracket season started a little early this year with this pandemic. Um, Brody, before we dive right into this uh, Coach O interview, you're, you're in New Orleans. Everything all good? You holding it down? How's it going? Yeah, yeah. Still uh, still stuck in the house in New Orleans, still uh, trying to find ways to entertain myself. But as I was telling you before the show, I did, you know, maybe I shouldn't be saying this but I, I, on the podcast, but I did make a covert operation to Baton Rouge to pick up some more stuff from my apartment there. So, yeah, I mean, I was uh, – but what, what blew my mind was so we, we swung by University Park, at, I mean, University Lake at one point, you know, on our drive back and – not, no one's taking it seriously there. No, no one. Uh, everyone's just kind of walking in ten-person groups, having a good old time. But uh, that's a, that's a discussion for another day. But well, hold on. Is it is it ten people groups or eleven people groups? This is a fair point, but I think the principle stands that uh, you know if it's family, was six, one, was was there six feet of distance between these? There was not. These were these were tightly huddled packs of people. Oh my god! Just just hanging wow. out, going on walks around the lake. But hey, you know, wow. I'm not going to tell people how to live their life. But you know, not yeah. smart. Uh, we'll, How about you, we'll man? We'll see where this all goes. Uh, it's it's good. I I finished um, Tiger King. Which, I was gonna say I did watch it. I am part of the the experience, as you said last week. 
Yeah, it uh, it's not nearly as fun as I thought it was when I was talking about it last week when I was maybe only a couple episodes in. It gets like, I love a good grease fest, and it reaches down into uh, really just unfathomable levels of grease. It gets so greasy, so uncomfortable, so dark. By the end, I kind of feel like all the fun of, not all the fun, a lot of the fun of Tiger King is actually ruined for me by the by the end of the docuseries. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the first four episodes is just like pure, just unadulterated, just nonsense fun. You're just like, I'm going to turn my brain off. And then the final three, you're like, ah, this is, uh, too real? I don't feel the same anymore. It yeah, it got too, too real. It got way but, too real, way <laughs> too fast. No, I was going to say, it was a fun experience for me because I actually like, spent like a year of my life reporting on this exact subject i uh when i was in college like the, so two of like the biggest tiger sanctuaries in the in the country are in indiana one's actually the tim stark guy who's kind of a scumbag he's one of the guys who's in there he's in indiana and another one's up in he man you want to talk about someone who just sounds like an asshole oh and i mean and, and he he wears that he wears that on his sleeve oh, and, and, but man that guy is the biggest asshole and he's one of those people who like they didn't like highlight him much but he's one of those guys who like does all the tiger petting stuff and like breeds them and like let's say like let's put this way i think some tigers disappear and stuff like that and like but then i covered another guy who's actually like one of the all at least it seems like it one of the good guys and kind of you know subscribes to the 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 carol baskin way of kind of doing things and whatnot so yeah i i think you know i've seen both sides of this and it's funny because they used to talk a lot about some of these people and now i'm like seeing it much closer like you know he always talk about like your tim starks or your doc antles for example and it's like and i'm like oh what are you talking about i don't really know about these guys and i was like oh this is the craziest world i've ever seen in my life wait so when you were covering these people what were you covering what did you learn like what what were your stories well i just i mean i did a huge like Spent like, you know, I think a whole semester of college basically, yeah, basically just like hanging out at this one facility in Center Point, Indiana, which this guy Joe Taff runs, the Exotic Feline Rescue Center. And I basically just like embedded with that, that sanctuary for like a semester of college and just kind of like learned the stories of all the animals and where they came from because most of his are rescues from different, you know, scummy people who do bad things and then they rescue them and whatnot. And like, and just all those stories and his story and how that came to be and just like different experiences and stuff like that. So I wasn't diving into like the nitty gritty, scary world that this documentary was by any means but i learned a lot of the stories they're talking about like there was this like operation in chicago at one point they finally caught him where like they were basically like selling tigers into butcher shops for years and people were buying meat from butcher shops not knowing it was tigers and stuff like that like there's some insane stories wait 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 look it up operation snowplow wait wait i i know at the end of tiger king what a name operation snowplow yeah uh i know at the end of tiger king they they talk about there being more tigers in (laughs) captivity than there are in the wild. And I know that, you know, uh, for for the people that are running these for-profit tiger centers, that when they're cubs, that's actually the, uh, you know, that's the money-making time. It's kind of like, what do you do with them? But I am still shocked to find that there would be such an excess of tigers that they would be selling them as meat. Yeah, this was like... What does tiger meat taste like? This was around two... That's a great question, one that... I want the answer to, and I don't. So that's a tricky line. Got it, though. But uh, no, this was back yeah, in like 2002. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, it was crazy. I mean, this place in like northern Indiana, or, like the Chicago area, was just like, yeah, there was like these things where they would load them up on trucks and just like butcher them, slaughter them, and then they'd sell them. It was crazy. And they, the, I think that. Oh my god! And the FBI, Brody, this is not what I expected when I this walked is a good, in. Today. This is, our what show gets ratings, man. Our show is gonna get hit. What? 
What? What did? What did the FBI do? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was like this long thing, and they like tracked it down, and they they busted it, and like, yeah. I don't know. Oh my god, dude. Yeah, dude, oh, this is the crazy. Are great. You think How the documentary is those old steaks anymore? <laughs> you never look at a steak the same way ever again. Yeah, you're like, this could be. Well, it's tiger like meat. no, like what if you just act like you're not an asshole and you don't want to eat tiger meat. But you've just been buying steaks. There's like this one kind that you just love from this shop. Yeah. Like, Man, they're so good. I just can't get enough of it. And then all of a sudden you read that you've been eating tiger the entire time. Yeah, what, what is your next move there? Like, do you, are you just, do you eat tiger now? Is that who you are? You have the taste of tiger meat. I don't. No, I don't. I, I think, I, well, I don't know, man. Um, have you ever looked up? How it, it's kind of like the shoes on the other foot now. Because have you ever looked up how many people tigers have killed in the last two hundred thousand years? I haven't, but I imagine it's not a ton. No, excuse me, not two hundred thousand, two hundred years. Okay, so I assume it's are not you a ton. sitting down? I'm. I, I am. Are sitting you down. sitting down? Because you are not going. You're not going to believe that this is a, that this is real. I don't think. According to Wikipedia, from eighteen hundred to two thousand and nine. 373,000 people died due to tiger attacks. And where in the, where Over in the, the world is the last five this? centuries in South and Southeast Asia, right? Jeez. So you got to think, I guess, like your Indias and everything, right? But over the last five centuries, an estimated one million people have been eaten by tigers. I, I, I said that 373 number to somebody a little while back, and they were like, yeah, that seems right. I'm like, wait, what? No, no, that that seems crazy to me. I think the lesson there is just in two hundred years. I think the lesson there is just human beings' nature to think we can get through anything, just to put ourselves in situations I mean, and think we'll be fine. And then I saw a video on Reddit the other day. This guy driving a motorcycle it looks like in an Asian jungle, and out of the woods a tiger comes sprinting and leaps at him and misses him by like a foot, dude. By the way, I just want to say for our listeners that we we cover the LSU Tigers, so this is actually our job to talk about this, and we're not. Yes. This isn't us going in left field. Tiger talk. Because we can't cover (laughs) the football team unless we understand the mascot. That's just common sense. That's, I mean, actually, I think on The Athletic, like on your LSU homepage, you have like a history of the school. I've been trying to pitch leadership to do like a tab on tiger psychology, <laughs> uh, like wild wild tiger versus even maybe captive tiger psychology. So we just get a full full rundown of what LSU's all about. Um, all right. I think that's probably enough tiger king so, talk. Yeah. Wow. I remain fascinated. Um also, that's a lot of human beings to get killed by tigers. I'm not advocating any action against tigers, but, you know, I just want everything to be out there. Um, speaking of tigers, though, Coach O came on the radio show this morning, and he talked about a few topics. Um, some of the more fun ones, uh, he talked about recruiting Joe Burrow and how he was convinced he was going to go to Cincinnati, and then he called Dan Burrow. Uh, Joe's brother because Joe wasn't answering anybody's calls and he basically told Dan like look man you know that uh, that LSU's the answer here like you know that make it happen sure enough Dan it plays a big role in getting Joe then to choose LSU what I and I kind of knew that story what I did not know and what I love is that Dan Burrow actually is now engaged or married yeah. I can't remember he's I think engaged, engaged. Yeah. uh 
Yeah, to to a woman that he met in an LSU football game. Yeah, in the concession oh, line. I think the, the there's a whole like story just to do on the Dan Burrow. And Dan Burrow is a listener to the show, so shout out Dan. But Dan just has all these fascinating little connections. Well, give 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 me give me give me some of that then because I'm interviewing him tomorrow, so I need to be able to ask well, a good question. I mean, one of my favorites is just the fact that he knew Joe was going to be the starter because remember that competition like technically went up until the end. And if you ask Joe, I mean, Joe like didn't know he was necessarily the starter and up until that first game of 2018, and Dan knew before anyone in the family. Like, I think he ran into Coach O, and, and O was just like, and basically just told him, like, hey, Joe's going to be the starter. And then I think Dan, like, had to keep it a secret until Ed told him, or maybe Dan told yeah. Joe, but just little things like that. I mean, no, nobody became more of, like, a part of LSU culture than Dan Burrow over the past, like, year and a half. Like, tailgating, meeting people, like you said, met his fiance, and I think, like, they're maneuvering that because he lives in Houston. Like, the, the Burrow family became... I mean, I remember going to a tailgate once, and it was just fascinating watching. I was, like, around the Burroughs, and Jim, Jimmy Burrow could not take a step anywhere without somebody hounding him for a picture and whatnot. And it was just, like, he yeah. was as famous as anyone. Or did I tell you the story of, like, Jamie and, and Jimmy Burrow were, like, having a catch with uh, with Jamie's son, who's kind of like a... a wow, fa- having a, a catch. <laughs> yeah. And, like, it was, like, a three-generation Burrow football moment, right? A tailgate. Like, that's a cool thing. And then some other random college guys go up to them and say, like, Hey, this is really cool to meet you. Like, would you guys mind actually like throwing with us? So it was just like their mo- <laughs> their moment was hijacked by this other family and things like that. Like, it's crazy how much it's that like, family became famous. It's like all Mac wants and always Sunny is to have a catch with Chase Utley. <laughs> uh, all they wanted was to have a catch with Jimmy Burrow. Feel the know, dreams Brody, moment, not to yeah. brag. But the reason why everybody was so obsessed with Jimmy Burrow was because he was a weekly guest on Off the Bench. So I you know, mean, it's funny because I'm also a weekly guest, and I, I don't have that fame. Well, you know what? Maybe you should work on being a little more engaging, okay? A little more gregarious. Cause That's a good point. Because if you were like Jimmy, like Coach Burrow, it has nothing to do with his son. It's nothing, all about his nothing. personality, why people loved him so much. Nothing to do with Joe. Uh, maybe you could get on his level. So I, I, I anyway. do think the Dan Burrow thing was um, – I thought that was a really cool story that, that, that I did not know fully. Uh, the other Burrow kind of also that, that did make me think because O said that he was convinced that after Joe left his visit that Joe was going to Cincinnati. And it made me think, you know, I've been, have you been watching Devs on FX? Oh, it's my, I, I mean, my day. Yes, that is my, that is my, uh, my ish. I love right. that show. I didn't okay, want to curse. So uh, I, uh, I love, I love Devs. Uh, I love Alex Garland. And it's like, it is some Alex Garland, Alex Garland. Also, I could watch Nick Offerman just look like just, upset. Just looking into the distance upset through, through a window. Yeah, it's the whole day. show. Yeah. I could do it all day. And, and I love it. And I love I'm it. Here for, for it. Anyway, so it's 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 got me thinking a lot about uh among other things like quantum physics and the multiverse and blah blah blah, Schrodinger's cat, all that crap, right? Well, there is a reality out there. Where Joe Burrow went to Cincinnati. Can you imagine? And man, what a what a boring reality that it is. I mean, what I, I think Cincinnati probably like goes to what a, a New Year's Six Bowl. Yeah, probably. Right? Are they the? Yeah, like he's right? probably like, successful. Like in- I think Joe is probably successful quicker. Like you know, what I mean, like his 2018 is probably better than his 2018 yeah. LSU, but his 2019 is obviously never his LSU 2019. But I mean, that Cincinnati team is really good. They would have had a lot of success. Uh, he had a good relationship with Who Luke wins Fickle, the Natty this girlfriend. year? Is, is, is Clemson? Do you think Clemson is the uh, well, is Clemson the 
2019-90 champs. What if it just like throws off like the the like the the axis just a smidge and Ohio State actually wins that game now or something? <laughs> well, no, because if, if there's no effect. if there's yeah. no LSU, then Clemson's. I mean, Ohio State's the one seed. Clemson's the oh, two. You're right. Wow, oh, this wow. is good. Whoa, my brain. I can't handle it. Yeah, so then Ohio State probably uh, does, wins the does, national championship. Bama, does Bama come out the West though? Right, even with the Auburn loss. Ooh, no. I think it's. Yeah, it might be. I think who was the five yeah. this year? Yeah, and then it would be. Uh, and then I, I don't know. I wonder who to won that Georgia. Well, Bama. yeah. No, wait, now I think about it. Alabama beats LSU if there's no Joe Burrow. So yeah, Alabama's probably the two or three that year. Wow, a lot of different history. Damn, dude, and and just no Heisman, uh, no Belitnikov. Who knows what's happening with that Ogeron right now? No Joe Moore award. Yeah, well, like, yeah, are people even happy with Coach O anymore? Well, I mean, like, going into, like, 2018, like, he was, I mean, yeah, you can hear different answers depending on who you talk to around LSU, but he was, like, on the top of every national hot seat list. So, I mean, yeah. if my, who's his quarterback that year? Justin McMillan's probably his quarterback that year, and I think Justin McMillan was fine, but they don't go to a New Year's Six Bowl in, in 2018 probably if it, without Joe Burrow, and they definitely no. don't do what they just did. I mean, who knows if Ed Ogeron's still the coach? I have no idea. Yeah, so uh, talk about a reality-shifting decision. As uh, You know, I don't know if those other re- realities collapsed when he, um, when, when he chose LSU or if they just exist in their, you know, just in their own little bubble. But if, if other reality T-Bob can ever hear this or come across this somehow, um, I'm sorry, bro. I'm sorry, because it's really good on this side. It's awesome. <laughs> it was a hell of a year. It was a, it was the best year ever, and then even I think about this. It's good for then, athletic like, subscriptions too. Yeah, it's great for athletic. So thanks, thank you for and that. Then, yeah, and and I just thought about this. I probably should address because I know that people know about it. But um, my grandfather passed over the weekend, and uh, he was a diehard LSU fan. Went to school in '58. Went to all the natties. Raised me diehard LSU. I, I've been thinking a lot about the. Just how really that's gone into shape my entire life. I mean, that's where I ended up going to school. It's where I ended up playing football. It's where I've now ended up working. That's what I do. That's what I'm doing this second. And for him to get to experience that year um, for LSU football, his last year on earth, just running the gamut with the trophies. And, and it's such a nice parallel to his college days with Billy Cannon and that 58 national championship team. I thought that was really, really special. So also, I really feel badly for other reality T-Bob that his other reality grandpa didn't get that either. Uh, and I'm glad you brought that up, man, because like, I mean, when this when that happened, and, and I'm so sorry, obviously, like that like took over yeah. like the Louisiana sports world. It wasn't just it was more than you know just one person because I think your family means so much this Louisiana culture and whatnot, and and your dad was. I mean, he's he, he's at the end of the day. I mean, your grandpa is a is just the father of you know a patriarch of a family but but he carries on such a meaning i mean some of the things mike detillier said about what he means to the bayou and all those things i think your dad did i mean grandpa did mean more to most people so i mean and i wanted to ask you i mean what was your first conversation like with him you know after lsu won the national championship like what was he like oh uh, it was um he was just really happy just really excited just you know like oh just couldn't believe it just joe burrow's so good he couldn't believe that coach o the kid that used to run around with his son and 
in high school, the kid that was his son's college roommate that used to get in all this trouble that used to be crazy. Like one of my favorite college stories from O and my dad is um, my dad had just had some sort of surgery. And so he's back in his apartment cleaning um, or, or so my dad's back in his college apartment, right? My grandpa's there and he's like stressed out because it's dirty as hell. I guess there's like maggots in the trash can or something. And he's like, where my dad's going to get infection, all this stuff. And then in comes Coach O and he has like an ice chest and there's blood dripping out of it. And I think there are like dead <laughs> rabbits or something in there. And he's just like, what the hell is going on here? There's like rotten roast beef. There's maggots. There's like, my son cannot be here right now. And then now though, that man... Man, not only led LSU to their best season ever, but is standing shoulder to shoulder with the governor as a voice of reason in times of a global pandemic. So it's been it's been real crazy for him. And then I know that he actually, uh, my grandpa, um, uh, when 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 I told uh, I, I got in touch with Coach O and I told him that he was in the hospital with Corona and he was actually able to call him and they talked for quite a while and. Uh, that I know that that meant a lot to him too. Uh, so I mean, it's it was he he was ecstatic. It was awesome, man. Probably my favorite LSU related memory with my grandfather is um, back. So the only LSU games I could go to growing up because I grew up in Atlanta were we'd come here every Thanksgiving. So if they played Arkansas at home, we'd go. Or when they played in the SEC championship. Now I got to see him three times there: oh one, oh three, and oh five. And in two thousand one. Tennessee was the heavy favorite. They were going to go to the national championship. They won. They were winning big. Rohan Davey gets hurt, and then Matt Malk comes in and just leads him on this improbable comeback. They end up winning the SEC. We're going crazy. We're surrounded by Tennessee fans. My grandfather's yelling, your roses have withered. Your roses have withered. (laughs) Because they were going to go to the Rose Bowl. They were going to go to the Natty. And and I'll never forget, they were annoying people so badly. I think like they threw beer on – somebody threw beer on us. From above us, it was just, uh, it was spectacular, man. And that is probably the experience that more than anything cemented uh, my love of LSU, and that was right with him. And and then he's just, as you said, he's the most gregarious, tactful, kind, generous person you've ever met, spiritual leader in the community, true patriarch. Obviously, me and my dad both like the bullshit, both like to talk. He could do that, but even better. And he was actually smart. He's a civil engineer. Um, he was he was the man. And and you know, I I, I guess I, I hate that it was coronavirus, something that didn't exist just a few months ago. And that's certainly a trap you can fall into, a frustration. But. Um, I think he was at peace at the end, which meant a lot. And, you know, he had a very strong Catholic faith, which I think helped him a lot. And his uh, priest, who is basically like his pseudo son, his priest, Father Greg, calls my grandfather's spiritual father, uh, was able to give him his last right to the phone. Thankfully, my cousin, shout out to my cousin Micah, who's a Marine Medal of Valor winner, just an incredible human being, a genius in his own right, and an amazing artist, actually. But he was able to get into the hospital room with him i don't know how because you know normally you have to be alone so that that was really nice and it sounds like you know he got his last rites everything and it sounds like he uh you know it sounds like he passed on peacefully some of his final words so his first language was cajun french and some of his final words were um uh joli le lait de vivre 
not joie de vivre, which is also famous, I think means like joy of life, but jolie le lait de vivre. And I really keep thinking about that quote and I just, I love it. I think I'm going to love for the rest of my life. And what it means is, uh, you know, I think at least, right? It's, it's beautiful is the milk of life. And it's not to say that uh, life is always beautiful. It's not to say life is always good. How I take that is, you know, life with all of its ups, its downs, its happiness, its sadness, its anger and pain, its elation and smiles, like the times where your heart's broken, the times where your heart's full, like all that, the good and the bad, that all constitutes life. And and there is beauty in that and, and, and what life provides us, that milk of life. And I've, I've been really thinking about that with my daughter, you know, as I kind of reflect on things and it's just... And especially in these anxious times where, you know, economically everybody's struggling. Uh, we don't know how long all this is going to last. Our normal distractions such as sports are, are, are nowhere to be found. Like, are we entering kind of a new age? Are, are things going to be different? Will everything's ever get back to normal after this? Like, you know, you know the, the, the ability to get overwhelmed and really anxious when you, when you start to extrapolate and think out in the future, it's so easy to get overwhelmed right now but but i kind of treat that quote like a bedrock to kind of stay stay in the moment stay focused on what's immediately at hand doing that to the best of your ability and just and just knowing that it's just life man it's just life right it happens there's there's gonna be these tragic watershed moments and i'm not talking about my grandfather here i'm talking about just all this like pandemic and all this weird unprecedented experiences we're going through it's just life and and in the end it is very worth it, and it and it is beautiful, uh, but that doesn't mean that it's always easy. So uh, I love my grandfather very much. Very sad that we can't have a uh, traditional funeral, but as I said, um, the outpouring of support has been really touching and really fantastic, and has meant the world to me. And it's come from all angles. So thank you to everybody, and uh, yeah, I love him, and I'm gonna miss him a lot. And I guess that's, uh, that's all I have to say. No, no, I, I think we all sincerely appreciate you sharing all that, man. And I think, you know, your words were perfect. That it, Those are words that probably could resonate with everyone this time because things aren't getting back to normal anytime soon. So, uh, no, I think I think that, 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 that quote that he said so often. Joli yep. le lait de vivre. I think, well, that's, I think I that's something we could all remember. That. So, absolutely. I never even heard him say that. And then he said it at the end, which is awesome. He just always used to go, boys, 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 when you get real frustrated because as a good Catholic man, he didn't want to curse. So that was his cursing substitution. He <laughs> was like, boys, 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 boys. Like, ah, oh, shit. Uh, uh. <laughs> um, but, but he loved LSU, and he loved Coach o, So we'll get back to talking about LSU because it's exactly what he wanted me to talk about. Absolutely. Um, so we talked about uh, Coach O and the Dan Burrow stories. Did you have a chance to listen to any of Joe Burrow on Coach K's podcast? So, I have not yet. I've only heard clips no, because that we cut up for the show. I genuinely tried to find it because I saw it from your show, and I couldn't find like an access to the, the actual interview anywhere. Wow. Wow. All I'm right. Don't do the John, old T-Box thing. John, are you listening? This is the guy that you have working for you. Well, so you go in the podcast store, Brody. You're gonna, you're, gonna, you're first. You're gonna want to Google what Coach. All right, K's come on, move on, is. move on. I'm just kidding. I actually, I'm kidding. I actually don't know. I haven't even looked for it. So maybe it is tough to get to. Um, the, the the takeaway that I had first off it was the, the the craziest thing was listening to Joe Burrow describe 
his preparation and the amount of film that he would watch and like getting in there immediately on Sunday, watching the game from the day before, watching uh, three or four games from the next opponent, finishing the rest of the opponent's games on Monday. Uh, on Tuesday, I think it was cut-ups by formation. On Wednesday, it was third down. And the whole time, he would meet with like uh, Joe Brady throughout. And then him and Brady would go to Ensminger and feed Ensminger like, okay, these are what we think. And Ensminger would pick and choose from the ideas. Uh, and for whatever it's worth, he did make a point of saying Steve Ensminger is the offensive coordinator. I know that people get people care about that. Um, but but it's just I mean it, I guess my takeaways from Lizzie say that are twofold. First off, uh, oh and I love how he ended. He said that he treated LSU like an internship for the NFL. Yep. He had all online classes. Didn't have to go to school really. So this was his like, uh, and that's exactly what it is. It's semi pro football as you try to get ready for the pros. Um, so so what jumped out to me though is first off, okay, you see. The amount, and, and Coach O said this this morning, he said he's never coached a college football player with as much focus as Joe Burrow had. And you see the incredible work ethic and focus that it took Burrow to get ready for every one of these 15 games. That's why when he had the little exhale moment after the natty and when he seemed a little a little tired right after, yep. like that's why he was 24-7 grinding for four months there and uh and he did it so that's what first but the second part that jumps out to me is like man just when you think miles brennan's job can't get any more unenviable that's the work ethic that he watched firsthand that's the work ethic that he now has to emulate like it's good that you saw what it takes but that'll be damned if it doesn't make just everything that much more intimidating dude yeah, I mean, the, the Burrow internship stuff, stuff like that, stuff he said a lot. Like, he said a lot his two years here. But, I mean, that's the thing that you always have to explain to people about, like, you know, we write about Joe Burrow or we talk about Joe Burrow a lot and we explain it to, like, you know, I'm sure you do the same. You get asked about all these things across the country to talk about Joe Burrow. And the thing I always have to start with is he is just not a normal human being. And that's why, like, it's always this weird thing when when someone makes, like, a Tom Brady comparison. People are like, oh, Tom Brady. I'm not saying he's as good as Tom Brady, nothing like that. It's never about that. It's that that kind of borderline, like, just not normal functioning person and how he approaches work and his job and how he does things. And it's like, I mean, you talk to anyone around Joe Burrow, he didn't do much else, at least during the season. It was, he went, you know, he did his online classes, but, I mean, he worked out, he watched film, he did that, then he went home, he didn't go out. Like, only a few teammates had ever even been to his apartment. Like, like it's a small number who had ever been to his apartment in Baton Rouge. He didn't really socialize in the offseason, sure. He'd, like, go to the casino every now and then and stuff like that and have a little fun. But he literally he treated this like a full-time job. And he just, when he sets his mind on something, it's just, like, it's almost, you know, compulsive. And he can't just, like, stop. He has to do this until it's perfect. And that's also why you see those kind of, you know, tough guy, you know, hothead moments on the field and stuff like that. Because when things don't go how he thinks it's gonna go he just like can't handle it right or or the ping pong story we love to tell and things like that just like he his mind is just like programmed to like i have to do everything in my power to do this correctly and if i don't i can't handle it and that's what makes him so good and i mean that all is a, is a massive compliment yeah and and he, he kind of talked about that how yeah, both in meetings and on the field he wanted to 
he wanted to know everything that they had gone over, not just, and he talks about how he never got nervous for games because of how he prepares, right? That anxiety comes from not preparing. And as someone who has go to, gone into games subpar prepared, he is exactly right. Um, as Moffat says, prior preparation prevents poor performance. But uh, but but he, he talks about that, how like he wanted to know everything so that he didn't have to even he didn't have to like berate his teammates they just know the standard right they know the standard of expectations through his actions and and man this the more details you get to me just the more it all makes sense like what we witnessed last year that 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 level of greatness does not happen by accident that's becomes because the uh a price was paid and 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 it was it's fascinating to hear about and now miles brennan has to live up to that uh but guess what brody i have it here in my notes on things to talk about on the show <laughs> today I, I have two individual sources that say that miles brennan weighed 219 jeez yeah uh, i think last we knew ago. was 210 right yeah i mean it's the amount of weight he put on is crazy i mean it's i think he's at 40 pounds now right i think he was about 180 yeah, 185 when he showed up. yeah at least his, i think his sophomore year he was still 180 i mean it's a the amount of weight he put on is pretty bonkers and i think a lot of that's i mean and, and here's the thing i always have to say is like people had you been grow. Nat- i mean you're young dude but no but i think he was always i mean yes i think he had to grow up but he was always trying it's not like he wasn't trying to gain weight i think just no i mean text. like physically grow up like yeah, yeah i'm yeah. saying like he was so young that he just still had that like you know i'm a gangly teenager now now he's in his early 20s and he's starting to like fill out a little bit and, just like your body kind of naturally does. And weren't you the one telling me that like they they showed something that shows No, his dad was telling me that. I mean they were talking about the weight thing. I was talking to his dad about it and he was saying that they actually like tracked how many calories he burns and why it was so hard for him to gain weight is that I don't have the number, but I mean it was just like the way his body works is he burns his calories at just a non-normal rate. So he would eat consume like 5,000 calories or something like that and he'd still be losing weight just because of something about his body and how it works so for him to lose weight yeah see that shit don't last trust <laughs> me right? I'm only 25 and I can tell you that <laughs> yeah exactly it's a scale it just gets I treated worse myself to some broke up pizza in Baton Rouge yesterday and I regret it already um, but yeah, I mean that's that's uh, so so that that kind of makes sense he, he is now going through that well, is he going through that slowing process, or did they say that they had to like start doing? No, I mean different? he he told us even last spring it was, and I think it's probably more complicated than just he ate more. But I mean the amount of food he started consuming because he realized like I'm not gonna be able to gain weight by just doing what I'm doing. And I, I mean the, the stories he would tell was like he would go into a Walmart at like two in the morning and just like buy a package of you know like you know kind bars and like you know like big you know. Uh, like cliff bars and stuff and just i'm a big kind bar guy yeah i'm thinking i think it was cliff bars and he would just stuff them in his mouth like four at a time because he just physically or like eating two pizzas at a time because he just literally needs all the calorie intake he can to gain weight so that's why it was so hard i'd be like miles you can eat those two pizzas one slice at a time and it's just as many calories that's shocking that he used to eat two at the same time how do you fit all that pizza? In Did you do you feel good about that joke? Like, do you think that joke? Like, <laughs> do you think you nailed that? Like, I'm curious how you feel. I think, uh, I actually, yes, I am proud of it, as you can tell. 
And, uh, you know, maybe the writer should choose his verbiage a little more carefully. I'm just trying to make sure that our listeners aren't confused. I'm just glad you're coaching me up today between, you know, my ability to pick up (laughs) on your cue. No, I just think Coach T-Bob. I mean, I'm just saying if the O-line job comes back open. bro, I'm grieving, okay? You can't come at me right now. I'm grieving. If you do, you're an ass. Beautifully played. Beautifully played card. Well done, sir. Thank you. Um, Thank you. But, yes, yeah, I I, I, – Yeah. Go on. Go on. No, I want to hear this. No, no, no. I'm done. I, I, right, was, I, was, right. gonna, I was just going to try to bring us back to uh, Miles No, Brennan. my favorite Miles Brennan thing is. 219 pounds. I remember I was talking to Steve <laughs> Ensminger. I was at. I was talking to offensive coordinator Steve Ensminger. Offensive coordinator Steve Ensminger once about that. And I was making a joke about like how you know we all know Miles Brennan just like he hunts all the time. He fishes all the time. That's like his only hobby. So. You know, why is he not gaining weight? And, and Steve Ensminger is just like, I literally yell at him all the time. I'm just like, if, if you're going to, like, why don't you eat what you catch and all that? He's just like, I want him to gain more weight. And, and clearly is because he was, I think, like 212 or 210 when he said that. And apparently he's gained another seven, eight pounds. Yeah, looking good. Uh, but you know, Brody, he's not the only quarterback on the roster. Uh, there is another guy, a man whose name can't help but call up phallic imagery. <laughs> and that is my man, Max Johnson. Uh, and why I'm putting so much hype into the setup is that you actually wrote an article about Max Johnson. So, Brody, what's our guy Max Johnson up to during this quarantine? <laughs> well, Max Johnson has a kind of fortunate, and they're the first to admit it's a very fortunate setup in that you know everyone's stuck at home right now. No one's really able to do what they want to do. No one can practice. Most people don't even have access to a gym, and most gyms are shut down. Well, Max Johnson is the son of Super Bowl winning quarterback Brad Johnson, so he has a Super Bowl winning quarterback coach as his coach every day, and he has a wow, and he has a six foot five, two hundred ten pound, four star tight end of a younger brother. So he's going home, and he still has an elite target to throw to every day and work through routes and all those things and take the playbook back to and work on it with. He's a coach who can actually work on them all these things. They have they have a home gym and, and they're like I said, they know they're fortunate. They know they're but it's just kind of he kinda of has this fascinating thing and his dad was even saying like they actually have a chance to get better through all this while everyone else is just trying to kind of maintain right now because of uh the situation they have. Yeah, I'm watching the. Uh, I'm watching on. It's it's uh, embedded in your article, but the Jake Johnson tweet of uh, I guess Jake's the little brother. Yes, yeah, sorry, thank you. And uh, that's the tight end. And uh, I mean, they do look good. Like I mean, these are two legit athletes getting these reps in. The biggest also, bummer is what didn't make I, the story. There's a. I'm I'm bad on. at my job. I didn't realize he's left-handed. I'm sorry, yes. I just had to get that in there. No, it's, it's a- I mean, come on. I'm a lefty. Let's go. I'm an even bigger Max Johnson. Well, I think LSU okay, saw it uh, and they're like, hey, we need lefties. Um, no, the yeah. best thing is that what didn't make the story was they also sent me, and we couldn't figure out how to embed it, but a video of just the Johnson family working out, and it is one of the most insane things I've ever watched in my life because it is like – it is just this like perfectly cut together thing of this of the two sons and the dad just doing these crazy workouts in their gym and I I, I would not survive in there. I mean that family is a I'm not gonna call them meatheads, but it's that kind of vibe in there. It's it's pretty crazy. Yeah. I'm gonna have to say yeah. it to you. For sure. And you know, meat meat meathead's not a uh, I, mean, I don't I mean that as an in insult. In some circles it may be Yeah, exactly. In some circles that may carry a negative connotation, but in my head it doesn't. I mean, when I played football, I just think that's just the mindset you gotta get yourself into. Like you have to work out all the time. You know what sucks? 
bitching about working out when you have to work out all the time. It's way easier if you just fake it till you make it and you like convince yourself that you love it. Even though now I will, I never lift weights. I, I don't like lifting weights anymore. Uh, is that Jake Johnson yamming it at the end on the on the basketball? I believe game? so. Yeah, and Jake Johnson. Is a I fo- love that they, they they show all these like football stuff and then Jake's just like pro. Also check this shit out, and it's him throwing down like four two handed. Well, it's hilarious when you see them side by side because Jake is two years younger and he looks like three years older. Max Johnson does not look yeah. very old, but no, it was fascinating. Just I mean because you and I had both heard, I guess through the the small amount of time Max Johnson's been here that he's really impressed people with what he's done so far. And I, I feel like he's in the driver's seat to be the, the number two quarterback behind Miles Brennan this year. So I just think it was, it was a good chance to learn about him. And I mean, he's a guy who, and I think what's important to point out with him, and I made sure to write about this in the story is going into his senior year. And over the course of the last year, there was like a lot of talk of like, is Max Johnson any good? Because there was this really jarring thing in his stat sheet, and it was that his junior year, he only completed 39% of his passes, and that is terrible, especially for somebody who's supposed to be going to somewhere like LSU. And What? And, yeah, you talk to, like, the recruiting guys who know way more than me, and they're just like, God, like, there's just no precedent historically for anyone, like, completing that low and of a rate. So, so um, and in the article, though, he had a, you point out that he had a good sophomore year, too. Yeah, he completed, right? like, like... Which is weird, right? Like, he had a better sophomore year than that 39. Exactly. So he, that wasn't, like, his first time starting. That was a exactly. step Exactly. So it was this bizarre drop-off, and, and all the data shows that anyone who completes under 50% in high school, like, they don't succeed in college. And it's like, is he any good? Well, what I found out, and I, I think everyone found this out eventually, is that, and this is jarring, his top seven receivers, his junior year of high school, all wow. went down with injuries. Seven. That is, that's more than probably a team has on their entire roster. So the dad was cracking me up because he was just like, he wasn't trying to be mean or anything. He's like, we literally had like these, the best water boys you've ever seen were like the starters now, and they're still carrying water on the sideline. That's, I mean, that is actually pretty important to point out because like the quality of receiver in high school is already normally no, complete shit. Yeah. Uh, and kind of be like, a, this guy's kind of athletic. We'll throw him out there. Uh, so, yeah, being down seven. Well, then, and, and go ahead and tell the people what he went on to do his senior year in case anybody's, like, banging their desk. For Absolutely, yeah. His senior year, he, he completed, uh, well, he threw 2,142 yards, 30 touchdowns, just five interceptions. I don't have his completion percentage in front of me right now, but I'm pretty sure it was in, like, in the 60, 65 range. I mean, he and he led that Oconee County to a – which you're probably familiar with that area, led him to the 4A state championship yeah. game and lost. And and that's not really a school that wins much historically. So I think, you know, his, and obviously it's a biased party, but his dad was just kind of saying, like, what he accomplished there at that school was pretty unprecedented. Do you know who Oconee lost to in that 4A state championship? Uh, I believe it was Blessed Trinity. Who was the last team before LSU to beat, what's his name, Trevor Lawrence? Was it Blessed Trinity? Yeah. There you go. Wow. I remember all those stories coming out. I didn't know it was Blessed Trinity. Wow. So here you go. I just remember in junior high uh, playing them, and I thought the girls were so hot. I was like, oh, which I guess I can't. I don't think they're hot now because I'm an adult, and they are children. Well, you could think think the girls who were there are hot now at the time. Yes. As a kid, yes, I, we all were like, I just remember all the guys who were like, whoa, bro, look at those skirts. They're so short. This is crazy, dude. So that short skirts, beating Trevor Lawrence, and now beating Max beating Johnson. Johnson. Yeah. Three, three blessed so training. We're going to be writing stories in The Athletic in three years of like the last team to beat Max Johnson or something like that. Who knows? <laughs> ah, yeah. Now you're talking about Lance Brody. Yeah, no. I mean, so I think the – I just think – I think most things show Max Johnson's probably going to be a pretty solid quarterback. And, uh, yeah, I think it's probably worth reading about. Okay. So, uh, once again, because I'm coaching you today, um, you want a good story idea? I would love a good story idea. 
This time of year, Brad I'm, not, Johnson, I'm not offended. Ask Brad Johnson about deflating balls in the Super Bowl. Okay. Have that, you, do, do you remember? Do you remember Brad Johnson during all that Tom Brady drama? No, I really don't. He came out with. He came out and he's like, yeah, dude, I had guys deflate my balls for every game. Oh, and he shoot. talks about how he paid he talks about how he paid this guy in the Super Bowl to uh, to deflate the balls. Why do you have to pay and Nobody somebody? really cared. Oh my god. But uh, I, I care. He's a I pretty forthright guy. Exactly That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it seems like it because I remember at the time being like, Whoa, Brad, should you say this? Like this might like well, I mean, the only, some hot water. There were only two quarterbacks to win Super Bowls for a four year span in the NFL. Tom Brady and Brad Johnson, so I guess they have a lot in common. <laughs> what a great, what an excellent stat that you just made up. Oh, my God. I love that so much. Um, yeah, here it is uh, from Los Angeles Times. Johnson told the Tampa Bay Times he paid a bribe of $7,500 to individuals who scuffed the footballs using the Buccaneer uh, in, 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 the, in the Super Bowl. So I guess to know like which balls it was, they would deflate him and then scuff him. Saying uh, I paid some guys off to this is a direct quote I paid some guys off to get the balls right. I mean, that's awesome, <laughs> my kind of guy. All right. I mean, he's like, hey, I got the ring. You can't take it from me. Get out of here. Also, coincidentally, the last time the Tampa Bay Buccaneers made the playoffs. That can't be true. They never made the playoffs since '02. Have not made the playoffs since 2002. Jeez, I mean, because I know uh, the Bills hadn't made it since '99, and obviously they broke that streak. So I think the Bucks. Uh, are the last? Uh, they, I think they're like the longest drought now. Huh. All right, there we go. Well, I'm a Bengals fan. Which obviously, they've not won a playoff game which, my whole life. No. Uh, which obviously, though, yeah, but y'all win a lot here recently. Um, oh wait, okay, no, no, I made this up. I made this up. I, I apologize. I apologize. Yeah, I, I don't think they haven't won a playoff game since '02. I guess they actually lost a wild card in '05 and lost a wild card in '07. I was gonna say. Yeah. All right. I thought they hadn't gone. Uh, okay. Oh, well, you! Oh, you were gonna say? Well, the Bills hadn't made it since '99 until they made it. When was it? Last year or two? I'm years not questioning ago? that. Did the Bills make the playoffs two years in a row. At least two out of three. Did the Bills make the. Anyway, um, what were we talking? Oh, okay, but but to me that 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 stat that they have not won a playoff game since 2002 makes it so much crazier that Tom Brady's about to be their their quarterback with those yeah. weapons. I need. The NFL to happen just to see this NFC South, dude. I probably said on this show before. It's pretty. Amazing. I just keep thinking about it. I just keep thinking about it. Watching Breeze and Brady with, especially with Emmanuel Sanders now added to the mix, the weapons on each side, and then and then I just love the the wild card story that I think we in Louisiana appreciate way more national, which is Teddy Bridgewater and Joe Brady teaming up to now. Try to come beat the Saints twice a year. It's uh, and I had heard back when like Joe Brady first got hired that like when like he was Teddy's guy. Like when Teddy, because Teddy Bridgewater got traded to the Saints in Brady's last year there, and like I think his responsibility was like, hey, Teddy needs to catch up. It's your job to like teach him everything we do and like catch him up. So like they actually have a a pretty close relationship from what I remember hearing at the time. So it isn't just like oh they what they were in the same building. Who cares? It's like they actually I think have it a connection so that's a pretty cool thing to see yeah yeah and i'm fascinated to see what kind of dividends it pays in that nfc south it's just i mean i don't care i i heard somebody talking about how they're talking about going to like uh like isolating the entire nfl in like a geographic area that's not hit that hard um which sounds so sci-fi and cool to me like let's just set up the nfl in wyoming for a year 
Nobody's allowed to go to games. All the players have to live there, and let's just see what happens. Uh, okay. I, so I, I need it in any form. Ideally, we could watch it in the Superdome with Brady versus Breeze, but you know what? Given the current circumstances, I'm not selfish. Just I just want to watch those two play against football. each other. Yes, exactly, right. exactly. Let's pivot to our last debate um, of the day. And we'll pivot to our last debate of the day, which is the top five college quarterbacks of all time. Well, I wanted to debate. I wanted to pick your brain on this just because this is something that kind of like took over Twitter on March 26, which is what, five, six days ago. And it was, I think Albert Breer had this big, he came out with his big list after a PFF draft thing, like asked everyone their top five college QBs ever. And then he got torched for his, and then everybody was coming out with theirs. And it became this whole argument of like, what are, is it only modern quarterbacks or do we not respect the old ones? Or is it assist? Like how has offense changed in the past well, but, 20 but, but, years? But that, that stuff's always interesting to me though. Because, I think it's fascinating. Well, it's like, but it's like, I don't feel comfortable choosing old quarterbacks. Cause I don't know what it was like to watch them play. Like like reading about Tommy Frazier and that he was the na- national championship game MVP three years, even his first year when he lost it. Like, yes, obviously, that guy should be on any top five list. But I, I would never come up with that name because I never watched him play. Like, I only know even about Tommy Frazier because you sent me this stuff and I started reading about him. Yeah, I think that so is like, I guess, I guess I guess what I'm saying for me, and when we do this list, I'm going to choose the best five quarterbacks of my lifetime. I'm, I'm going to focus on I just, that, too. I, I don't think I can do that. I'm going to focus on yeah. that, too. And okay. then you get tough in this thing with, like, I think what gets hard with a lot of this is, and this this isn't even just an age thing. This is like a just how we look at quarterbacks. Where there's somebody like Peyton Manning that actually might, and Andrew Luck and Peyton Manning, I think are the best two examples of this. Where like they're probably two of the best quarterbacks to ever play college football. They were incredible and consistent every single year. Andrew Luck and Peyton Manning were probably the best players of college football at least like one or two years in a row. But they didn't win Heisman's. They didn't win national titles. They weren't necessarily like the story of their season. So then history kind of forgets them. And I think that's kind of unfortunate how awards kind of came Well, their greatness was their enemies in ways because they were both kind of the chalk odds-on favorites. Exactly. So they, they ran into the buzzsaw that Joe Burrow avoided by just beasting out this year where it's like, You've kind of already crowned this person, so that becomes boring. So then everything shifts to another person, and you're just you're just lost. Exactly, because I think if you were asking me like my top five quarterbacks of my like lifetime, I mean, I think Andrew Luck would actually rank pretty highly up there. Which maybe I should stick to that, but it still like doesn't feel right in my head. Which can lead us to our actual conversation, which I think we have been we have been like mind trained to overvalue championships uh, like my yes. mind warped like it's, mind it's very unfortunate championships. especially in football where basketball one guy 20 percent of your players on the court he can make a big difference like one guy really can be like bring you to a championship almost single-handedly so i understand a bit more there but football and, and maybe quarterbacks a bit different here because of the undue impact they have but it's still one of 11 guys it's in theory a weak link sport as opposed to like a strong link sport. I just it's it's crazy to me how uh, championship conversations are the end all be all and everything else gets ignored. Like the only way that you qualify to be best of all time in the NFL is if you have as many rings as Montana or Brady or like like somebody like Drew Brees who doesn't end up on an NFL top 100 list despite the fact that he's the NFL's all-time leading passer, both yards and touchdowns, and has a Super Bowl, but he doesn't have enough 
Super Bowls. It's just it's kind of wild to me. No, you're right. I mean, it's this kind of thing where, and I and you even bring up the NBA. And I think it's unfortunate in that sense too, but it's true for all of this. Where it's like, okay, so if you're the second best in it for like every single year, but you just happen to lose every single year. That doesn't mean you're not great because that's still like a five-year stretch in football and sports history or whatever that that you were one of the best players ever. But it's just we just forget people, and I think that's kind of the problem there. And, and then, wow, I lost my train of thought there for a second. But wow, I, I know did. that goes, and you kind of like when you're like talking in the middle and you're panicking, and you're like you're trying to keep talking as you're thinking in your head, like what was it? Where's it going with this? Where are I going with this? There's nothing more terrifying than not finding that thread again. <laughs> And then you're just like, and... Oh, no, what I was going to say is, what happens... Thank you, buddy. That's a team player. Alley-oop right there. But college is even more unfortunate that people view it that way because college is not a parody-based sport. There is built-in levels. That's such a great point. You can't, like, so say somebody... Which is actually kind of great that historically, like, you do have... Like, it's great that a Robert Griffin, for example, did win a Heisman because... You know, he he was at a team that only went like eight and four. You know, there's a lot more of that in history. Lamar Jackson, one that comes to mind. Yeah, not but great Louisville team. Exactly. So, like in, in a sport like football, where there might be some player who's just like incredible at Kansas State, but Kansas State's not going to win a national title or even really be that close. All of a sudden, now our, our our historical remembrance of that player is skewed, and I think that's kind of the bummer here. But with that said, I think all my top five are like title winners or Heisman winners. So maybe I'm a fraud. I know. Me too. <laughs> I think I'm a fraud too, because mine are too. I mean, okay, well, I've got four. I've got four. Yeah, I'm I don't even have four. like a firm, hard list. It's more I just wanted to. Okay, so who do you? I want to start here. Who do you think is the best college quarterback of your lifetime? I think it's Cam Newton. I I agree. Uh, the only reason I'm not going Joe Burrow, um, and this is not even necessarily fair to Burrow, uh, but it's because Cam Newton had less talent surrounding yeah. him. Uh, Nick Farrelly was a first-round pick on defense. I can't remember any great offensive players drafted. Besides there was that five-star running back, Michael offense. Dyer, but even he wasn't necessarily that like breakout star or anything like that that season. Yeah, it was pretty much Newton and Farrelly. Yeah, and, and, and I should also say that probably a little bit this is coming from bias because in 2010 when I was on a team that, you know, we went 11-2, and two, finished whatever. Um Cam Newton, like, single-handedly beat us. It was kind of crazy. I, I'd never seen anything like it. He was the best. We used to, for all you Dragon Ball Z fans out there, we used to say that he was final form Frieza. Like, he was just he was just an absolute beast. And, unfortunately, we didn't have anybody that could go Super Saiyan that game. I mean, watching him bust out that run, LSU fans will know I'm talking about here, but bust out that game when he run where just the ultimate – Heisman moment icing on the cake. He stiff arms Pat Peterson to the ground and runs away from him. It was, it was, I, I'll never forget being on the bench in, uh, uh, what's their stadium name? Why am I blanking? Uh, Jordan Hare. And the crowd was just going crazy. And I just remember being like, well, nothing you can fuck. do there. <laughs> like, yeah, like, that's a, that's a wrap, boys. Uh, let's pack it up. It's a good game, but uh, this guy's pretty damn good. And I think, like, Holgo, I don't know if history will remember him this way, but my memory of him is he changed my – I said memory. My memory of him is that he literally changed what we thought a quarterback could be. Tebow was the one who, like, broke through and showed that you can truly – do both and not just be a gimmick where you're just a running quarterback or you're just, you know, a passing quarterback. Tebow broke through and kind of broke the mold a little bit. He was the first to have 20 passing and 20 rushing touchdowns. And he, like, but but still, like, he wasn't huh, a great passer. Yeah. And he, yeah, I like think he, he deserves credit for that, what he did. But 
Cam Newton was the first one, I think, to like take hit the mold that Tebow allowed us to see and then elevate it and be like, oh, this guy can just run all over the field. He can just heave the ball downfield and not just like be a system passer where it's actually launching deep passes and really standing in the pocket and not just being a gimmick and, and running around. You can't sack him and you, and you give him the, the, the space to do that, not restrict him and all that. It was the first time I ever felt like a guy was just like on a cheat code in a video game or something like that, a quarterback. And, and now it's well, so and common that we massive. forget it. Yeah, exactly. No, you're right. He was That's just the other massive. big part. He just, he just looked like he looked like like I mean the video game thing is accurate. He looked like a creative player. Like you'd be like, oh, <laughs> this is my quarterback. And you're like, nah, dude, that 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 doesn't exist in real life. Oh wait, it does. And his name is Cam Newton. And it almost makes you wonder, because you know what he is? It was Terrell Pryor was that first, right? Terrell Pryor was the 6'6", really fast guy who could do it all. But he was well, in the we're like, talking about, he not fast, but if we're just talking about big boys now, what about my guy J-Rock, Jamarcus Russell? You're right. He was a big boy, dude. He was thick. Yeah, absolutely. He really looked like an O-lineman. He couldn't move like those other guys, so. You're right. No, he's another great example. But I think the reason I bring up Pryor is like it actually feels like a similar body. I think they're both like six five, six six. Yeah, both really built. That's both fair. could really run. But Pryor, and this is an example of like how in the NBA, so many big men like came at the wrong era, and they wish they could have been great if they were allowed to shoot back then. It's like if Trell Pryor wasn't in like that Jim Tressel kind of boring Ohio State offense, and they tried to make him a system mm. quarterback and all that. Like, what could he have been? And that's a whole different thing. I'm not claiming Trell Pryor would have been Cam Newton, but it just makes you think because Cam Newton was one of the first where you just let him be him. And then if Cam Newton doesn't happen, you probably don't get Johnny Manziel like a year or two later. And then all of a sudden now it's just this is the norm. Like this is just what you consider a quarterback in 2020 is the guy who can do all that. And Cam changed all that, let alone with so little help. Against an elite, yeah. Um, so speaking of guys though, who could do it both, uh, I think for my number two, I have to go to my childhood, and I gotta go with Mike Vick, man. And it's not that I Did watched that football; coming. it's not that I watched football critically at the time, and so I can't even really defend this. Um, like I, I, I can't defend it stat wise because I know that like. Tebow's going to smash him in the stats department, and obviously Burrow does. Um, but but I just felt like Mike Vick was such a – everybody wanted to be Mike Vick, man. He was just so dynamic and exciting. You never see anything like it. It's probably also some of my bias coming through from um, growing up an Atlanta Falcons fan where, like, watching what he did in the NFL when he burst onto the scene and – like NFL guys just couldn't account for his speed. I'll never forget the, the the Vikings run where he does it to win the game, and two of the defenders who think they take the right angles to tackle him. Right, like yeah. they they start running like to head him off. He shoots the gap between them, and they light up each other and knock each other down. And I was just like, these are <laughs> NFL players. They don't miss angles like that. Like that's how crazy this cat is. And uh, also, Mike Vick used to have cleats that had mirrors on the bottom so that uh, his opponents could see themselves as he was running away. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think Vic is a tough one just because, yeah, I mean, he was an elite college quarterback. I think he deserves to be in the top five, six, seven, somewhere in that conversation. He doesn't make my top five, but 
And he's another one, though, where it makes you think, like, man, just what if he got – what if, like, NFL offense is caught up a little sooner, right? I know we're talking college, but it, it yep. comes – because remember his 2010 F- Philadelphia Eagles season when he was finally with a coach who, like, knew how to get all that out of him and Andy Reid, and he he was, like, a genuine MVP candidate, like 3,000 yards, 100 pass um, quarterback rating, all those things. Like, he was unreal, and it's kind of like you wonder if he would have had that from the start or – I hate to say this, but if the – you know, if if – him and Petrino actually did team up before the dogfighting situation happened and all that. You know, it just, it just makes you wonder, I guess, like what he could have accomplished if he was with those kind of offenses sooner. And in college, yeah, he could just do what he wanted. And he just ran around. He was incredible. So I, I think just that's remember, a good I don't have many 90s college football memories. And he just stands out like a – and maybe it's like when you read history, right? Maybe he stands out more because of all the darkness surrounding him because I didn't watch. You know, I don't remember like a – I don't remember a ton of college football from the 90s, but I remember him so clearly and just being like, whoa, this is the most dynamic guy I've ever seen. And then, and then that's true. He also did go on to basically break football video games, which is pretty yeah. badass. 2004 Madden, Nobody else could claim that. Yeah, yeah it's him yeah. And, and Tecmo Bo Jackson. Yeah, so, yeah Tecmo Bo Jackson was sick too. My number two, and this is the thing I have to clarify like every like three shows. I am not an LSU fan. Oh, I did not go to LSU. I grew up in New Jersey, went to college in Big Ten country. Like I have no tie to LSU other than covering them, which means I shouldn't be a fan anyway. I think Joe Burrow is the number is the second best quarterback I've ever seen in my lifetime. And and I, it's something I really accurate. it's something I really wrestled with. So like I don't want to give this like this high because I really am like or am I being too prisoner of the moment? I am I am I just like too close to it because I cover it and see it so closely. But then you just really think about I don't know if I've ever seen a quarterback aside from you know a few other guys are better than making a name where it just seemed like there was quite literally nothing you could do. It, it no matter what you tried, it failed. It was he would put a ball in the perfect spot every time. He'd make the right read every time. He 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 would just break you down. You couldn't sack him. He was stronger than you thought. He could run. He could do everything. It was it and and and, and then you add in the competition. You you see that he faced a Texas top 25 team, not a good defense, obviously, but Florida was one of the best defenses in the country. Auburn was one of the best defenses in the country. Alabama was one of the best defenses in the country. Georgia, Oklahoma, Clemson, everyone except Oklahoma, of course. But it was just kind of, I don't think anyone's ever faced a defensive slate like that. And yet again, I've and I've never seen anyone look that dominant, no, that dominant no matter who the competition is. So you combine those two things. I just really don't think I've ever seen anyone have a better season except for Cam Newton. Yeah, I think um, I think you're probably right. And if I'm being 1,000% honest, I don't know why I wrote it down this way. I thought that I was going to put Burrow to it. Then I just got a little over-anxious putting Vic there. I like I, it. I think because I have Burrow we need to be three. different. I think Burrow, Burrow – I know we should be, but honestly, I do think in my life it would go Cam Burrow-Vic for me. And then um, – and then, uh, so I guess, wait, should, do you want to do your number three then? Because my number three is Burrow. And so really, I mean, I can just echo everything you said, but you said it well. I think so my who, th- who's your number three? So my three, this is tough. This is where it gets, I think, really hard. I think my first two I feel really confident about. Three, I think, I think history's kind of been unkind to him, which is unfortunate. But I think Tim Tebow is my three. I really do. I think... Huh? I just think I think history just remembers the not great throwing and and how his NFL career was a bomb and all those things and and I think people forget that like for a three year span he was the consensus best college football player every single yeah, year. It wasn't even close. Won the Maxwell twice. I mean it was just and like again it's one of those things where it's like the D'Antoni sons or all those things where somebody was like too successful at something before everyone else. 
and then like other people perfected it, but he kind of broke the mold. I mean, he really did. He was the first to do all these things, and he was the guy who could take it. He was a fullback playing quarterback, but still threw a big numbers and all those things. Won two national championships. I know one of them, he was more of the backup, but he still played a lot. And I, I think Tim Debo was just the best college football player for three years, and I think that's why he's my three. We can't forget. Yeah, I got Tebow at four. So we're uh, we're right in line there. You just don't value Mikey I don't, B. I don't as value Mike as, as much. You're right. Um, okay, but hey, you... but how about this? What would Tim Tebow be without Chris Leak? Huh? Think what do you mean? That. What would he be? <laughs> I think he'd be fine. He he wouldn't have two national championships. I mean, he might. I don't know. That, that, that it's not that 06 Florida team. No, no. Chris Leak won. Uh, he was a starting quarterback on that. I, I know team, he was a starting quarterback. Wasn't but Tebow like the changeup? Yeah. yeah, he was the changeup. Yeah. No, you're not wrong. I'm just saying. I think Tim Tebow still would have been one of the best quarterbacks ever. If he I'm didn't. just saying. I think we got to dock his legacy a bit because of his reliance on Chris Leak. I'm bringing up the real points that no everybody else is too afraid to bring. <laughs> um, but it's not no, like I'm Burrow kidding, and Cam Tebow. have two titles. Yeah, exactly. That's a good point. I have uh, uh, I have Tebow at uh, at four. Well, and we know that all you care about is championships, so I'm actually surprised. I know. I'm really. Tebow I hate myself right now that we're doing this. Um, <laughs> so uh, I think, so I have Cam, okay. Burrow, Vic, Tebow. You have Cam, Burrow, Tebow. Who's your four? I think. You know what? I'm gonna say Andrew Luck. I'm gonna just like not fight my own like. Okay, feeling. just do it, dude. Just I, do it. I, I think Andrew Luck was consistently the best quarterback in college football for several years in a row. I mean, he was a Heisman finalist, I think, twice. He would have been the first overall pick coming out of his redshirt sophomore year, and just kind of decided to stay because he wanted to get his degree. I mean, okay, 2009, 2,500 yards, 13 touchdowns, only four picks with 400 rushing yards, and that wasn't even like, I don't think Stanford had broken out yet. Then 3,400 yards, 70% completion, 32 touchdowns, eight picks, 500 rushing yards. And then his junior year was pretty much more of the same with more touchdowns and more yardage. I mean, it was just, I think he was just a consistently like perfect quarterback on a not even that great football team. And he was the number one pick tiers in a row if he wanted to go. And by the way, like, there's not much history for guys who stayed and stayed at that spot. You know, like Matt Leinert would have been the first overall pick, and then he screwed it up, right? Or, or there's so many guys like that who came back and actually hurt their stock. I really can't think of anyone else that was that kind of just like perfect. I wonder. If, I wonder what Peyton Manning was yeah. considered as junior year, but who stayed there? So I really think Andrew Luck is my number four, and I, I, I'm I'm not sure if that's accurate, but that's how I feel. Well, good, good, yes, yes, good. Thank you, because I'm going chalk. I'm going Vince Young. That's my five. Um, yeah. That's my five. Uh, I said it first. But, yeah, I mean, Vince Young, um, to me, again, I don't know if this is just because that national championship stands out so much in my mind. But knowing how unstoppable USC was at the time with Bush, and that was Leinard, or was that Palmer? I'm getting confused. Was it Palmer or Leinard? He was Leinard. Uh, it was yeah. Leinard, right? Yeah, it was Leinard. Yeah, Leinard, Bush, uh, Coach O, all those NFL guys, uh, just the most badass team of the, of the of the time period, and I felt like Vince Young just nearly single handedly went toe to toe and won a natty, and to come up in that final drive in the way that he did, time and time again, it's probably I mean, I guess championships are the thing because like that's what this is all going back to for me. I'm not looking up his season stats. I mean, I know his numbers are great and all that. But it, it to me, it's just it's it's the fact that he beat that USC team and the manner in which he did it. It just felt like he was unstoppable. Like there was nothing you could do. 
Yeah, no, I, I, I like think, Burrow, I guess. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it, it is. He's like, I'm trying to think of a good basketball comparison, but it's almost like the the Dirk winning in 2010, 2011 thing, right? Where like his legacy just changes because he does have that one title. He has that moment. Yeah. And now you can feel more secure with that. But now that like the more we talk about it, the more I really like wonder if we're highlighting that too much. Now I start thinking like, no, we probably are. We probably are. But I mean, I just there's part of me that's like to my instincts here. And then you get to the part where, and this is the last thing I wanted to really dive into here is that because offenses have you know accelerated like they have all these things, now we're numb to what people are accomplishing, right? Because if you really are, if we're really thinking about, it, I mean, what Kyler Murray accomplished or what Tua accomplished, for example, those guys, or even Baker Mayfield, right? I wouldn't put Baker in that group, but I'm just saying. I mean, I think Tua like should be remembered as one of the best college quarterbacks to ever play the game, but his his legacy yeah. won't be that way because because of the injuries and because you know his championship was the one where he came in at halftime, but he didn't win championship okay, as the well, main well, guy. But here, so 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 here's a counter argument. You talk about how desensitized we've kind of become, and did you mean like desensitized to like the statistics, just like how gaudy these numbers are? Exactly. Yeah. Now it's just we're used to it. Yeah. So so maybe that is then an argument for overvaluing championships, right? Touche. Like, I mean, I I agree that I, I, I think I'm more of with what you said at first, where it's like, you know, college is not an even playing field to begin with, so it's kind of absurd, but to play devil's advocate in an age where guys can put up numbers that just look like video game and look stupid and look like they don't make any sense. Uh, yeah, maybe a guy like Vince Young, who he had crazy numbers too. Like, I don't want to say that he didn't because he did. Uh, I'm trying to pull him up right now. Uh, but maybe the fact that he did beat that USC team should matter more. Yeah, so it looks like Vince Young, his senior year, completed uh, – excuse me, his junior year, uh, but his last year. Completed uh, 65% of his passes, 3,000 yards – Nine yards per attempt. Uh, he had 26 touchdowns, 10 picks. I can't find his rushing, though. Oh, well. Either way. Uh, oh, here it is. Uh, he, carried, oh, he also had 1,000 yards on the ground with 12 more touchdowns. Jeez. That's interesting, though, because that doesn't even look like Sam Ellinger's numbers, to be honest. No, it doesn't. No, Maybe not from last year, but two years ago. Ellinger had better numbers, but Vince Young. And it's the this, pace okay, of play. So this is where... This yes, exactly. This is where wins do matter. Now that I'm thinking about it, because we can only judge guys relative to their uh, competition, right? So I don't care if it was a slower like. That's why I don't care if the numbers aren't as good. It was a different style of football. It was a different yeah, era, agreed. and in that era, he still dominated everybody who stepped up to him. And yeah. so that's why you can't get married to pure numbers. I do love that we've actually, like, because I think we're on the same page here. We both talked ourselves into the one thing we started this argument fighting. Because now, yeah, like, because <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm actually completely with you where it's, you know, maybe that is we have to judge these people by what they did in these biggest stages, because, especially for this reason. Because college football is something, like we said, there is so little parity that you have to judge somebody by when they play teams that are on their level. So it's not about, like, big game, I just step up in the big moment. Yeah, that too, but it's about how did you look when you played teams that actually were as good as you because you might only get four of those a year. And some schools not even for Clemson, for example. Yeah. So I think that's why. So you know, you, that's why I love the, the Cam Newton pick because the things he did against the best teams were the scariest. I mean, the Alabama and comeback. Burrow. 
Yeah, and then Burrow was, I mean, that's the best example. He just annihilated defenses that we, it was like this game we played every week where it was like, is Florida the best defense in all of college football? Well, no, Joe Burrow just did this. Is Georgia the best defense in college football? No, LSU just did this. And then, you know, the Clemson, same thing. And Clemson was. Like, I, Clemson, I feel yeah. like in the end, Clemson was, and they put up the best fight, and it still translated. And to LSU will 42. still tell you Auburn was the best defense they faced all year. Like, LSU maintained Oh, that's that. fair. That's, that, that, they that's really true, believe actually. that. Yeah, so, I, I, no, I, I believe that too actually i think i'm not even sure where i stand it's just yeah it's, it's crazy what they did so i think those are the best examples or a tebow for the most part i think always played well in those stages so yeah i, I stand by my list mike vick bad pick in that sense maybe uh bro you chose andrew luck get the fuck out of here <laughs> um all right there's your top five quarterback list i got cam newton joe burrow mike vick tim tebow vince young who do you got brody i have Wow, I forgot. Cam Newton, Joe Burrow, Tim Tebow, Andrew Luck, Vince Young. There you go. Uh, yeah, so a little Vince, Vince and uh, Luck, or Vic and Luck sneaking in there. Uh, if you enjoy the Hold That Podcast podcast, a uh, huge thank you to The Athletic for hosting it everywhere now. You can find it at Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, go to theathletic.com slash hold that podcast. Give you a great sign-up deal. Basically read the best sports writing in the world with no ads for like a cup of coffee a month, which is awesome. Uh, go buy your meats at Bear Specialty Meats on Jefferson. And uh, Brody, anything to uh, add before I close this out here? No, I think I just want to say something to our readers, that, our listeners, that I mean, obviously this is a weird time with sports and it's a weird time with nothing much going on. So if there's anything you guys want to talk about right now or anything you want to hear us, you know, just pick each other's brains about, don't be afraid to reach out to either of us. And we're, we're down to probably talk about that. Unless it's a terrible idea, then maybe not. Now now you're getting it, Brody. You get the, get the listeners to do your work for you while framing it as community interaction. Work smarter, not harder. Look at you. Yeah. Look at you. You're going to be a radio guy yet. All right, that's all that podcast podcast uh, each and every Tuesday. Uh, we will see you next week. Go Tigers, but do not sell Tigers or raise them illegally. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.